Look in John 12 and verse 17. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they heard that they had done this sign. Alright, that's, uh, that's pretty understandable, wouldn't you say? You heard that Jesus did this great thing. He raised this guy from the dead. And so now they want to find out more about him. And so they're going to go and meet with Jesus or go and find out about him. Verse 19. Then the Pharisees therefore said among themselves. Keep that in mind. This is among themselves. You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Oh, that we could say that in today's society. But here the Bible says that's exactly what the Pharisees said. Keep in mind the Pharisees were very jealous of Jesus and the attention that he was getting. And they were the religious crowd, not the relationship crowd. And so here we find them making this statement. Now notice verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those, and here's the phrase, look at it. Who came up to worship at the feast. Who came up to worship at the feast. At the feast. Now we're going to take that word and we're going to build off of it. But look at what they say. Verse 21. Then they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. If any anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now we're going to stop there with our reading. We're going to mention a little bit more out of the chapter in just a moment. But before we do, let's pray together, all right? Father, we come to you and we are grateful for the opportunity you've given us to gather in your house. Lord, thank you for what our hearts have already felt. And we pray, God, that you'd speak to us. We ask for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that uh, we will hear from you. We pray, God, that you'd give us minds to comprehend the message, Lord. And we pray the Holy Spirit would be both personal and powerful. And we ask now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The word worship in this text is a Greek word, very simply put, proskuneo. And all it means is this, to bow down before in honor or adoration of. And that's an important thing that we remember. Now, uh, it is an attitude of the Spirit to worship, to worship. Now there are many things we could say about worship and I want to give you a little bit of background. First of all, Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 23, a little earlier in the same gospel that we're looking at, he was talking to the woman at the well, as many of you probably uh, remember, uh, but the hour is coming, he said in verse 23, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him I find that interesting that God is looking for people who will worship him is what the Bible says uh, who will do this to him who will honor him and adore him will bow down before him so the Bible says to do this you need to do it in spirit and in truth worship should be in spirit and in truth it has been my experience that many churches tend to focus on one or the other of these. 
I just find that to be the case. Not all, but, but some of them. Sometimes, boy, they're really in the Spirit. And that word, you can't get away from the fact that that word refers to uh, a life, an energy, uh, an expression that is there. Now, I know maybe you're not, uh, you know, maybe you're more refined <laughs> in your worship. And you're not quite as expressive. And I, I don't quite understand that because I've seen some people at football games that come out of that shell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but we don't do that when it comes to the Lord. But that's okay. I understand. I, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to try not to go there. All right. So the Bible says there are some that worship in spirit, meaning you got this high energy about you, but not necessarily the truth. Then there are other people who have the truth, but I'm, they just seem to be mad at the world. There's no life. And so what the Bible's saying is worship should consist of spirit and truth. We need to get this balance down is what he's saying. Now, uh, I, I want to speak to you a little bit more on this subject. Before I do, I've come across some pretty interesting quotes I want to share with you. One is by A.W. Tozer, and he simply said this, Any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. That's a great verse, man. I mean, a great quote. Francis Chan. Francis Chan said, Isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? I want you to brag on God for a minute. Just exaggerate. You cannot exaggerate. You, you cannot overpraise Him. It's impossible. John Piper made the statement, In the case of Jesus, He is infinitely admirable. And our admiration rises to the most absolute worship he said so I ask you today did you come don't answer it out loud but think about it did you come today to truly worship we throw that phrase around for some people uh, they think of music when they think of worship somebody say I really enjoyed the worship uh, and, and they're talking about the music well, music is a part of worship but wor music is not the worship it's not the only portion of the worship amen we, we advertise on our sign out front, worship at 1030. Well, you can have a meeting and not have worship. You can go to church and not go to worship. On the other hand, let me say this to you. It is possible, and, and may I say it is true, that Christians, we should be worshiping every day. Right? We worship every day. There's not just one single. However, there are times we gather together formally to worship and in a corporate atmosphere. But even when we are meeting together in a congregation, this is very important that we make note of, worship is still an individual act. It is an individual act. You can be among others who are worshiping, but the question is, do you worship? Do you worship? Now, what's involved in all of this? As I was reading this text and looking at this, there are a few things that came to my mind. The first one is, I want to give you, uh, if you will, four essential components of worship. The first one is, number one, you want to write it down, seek Jesus. You should have gotten a study sheet when you come in. We thank uh, our greeting team for making those available to everybody. So seek Jesus. That's what the Greeks said. The Greeks came and they came to worship, the Bible says. They were in the area so that they might worship. So they go and they find Philip and they said to Philip, we want to see Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we want. We want to see Jesus. Now, there, there are a lot of questions that we could ask about this. First of all, who exactly are the Greeks? 
We don't really know in this text. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes that phrase is used to refer to a group known as the Hellenists. Now the Hellenists were actually Jews who were brought up to speak Greek and came from Greek culture. And, but yet, uh, there are others that are Gentiles. The Greeks would have been Gentiles. Some believe this is a story of, of the Gentiles involving the Greeks, the non-Jews, because their practice of the Passover and their practice of all that was going on in this week would have been limited. That might be another reason why Philip and Andrew were a little bit confused about whether or not they could even get to Jesus. Because Jesus, they had heard him say, he had come to the house of Israel. Keep in mind that his primary goal was always to reach the world with the gospel. He had, he had come to seek and to save the lost, but he wanted to do it using Israel to reach the world. And so here we find there's a bit of a dilemma. So let's assume for a moment that these are Gentiles. And because of that, they come to Philip. Why Philip, somebody might ask. I mean, that's a valid question. Why not any of the others? And the Bible clearly says he was from Bethsaida. Some believe that, that they would have had interaction with that area and they could have identified perhaps with Philip. Somebody else might have thought, uh, maybe it's because we know Philip, hear now, hear this, we know Philip is a close follower of Jesus. He can get me in. Amen? So let me pause a moment and ask a couple questions. If people are looking for the solution to their life's troubles and they've heard about Jesus and they want to find him, will they look to you to show them how to find him? Philip. Now I like what Philip does with this. Philip doesn't immediately go to Jesus. Philip goes to Andrew. And, and that's about, you, there's another question. Why does he do this? Why does he go to Andrew? Someone has mentioned that Andrew would have been uh, his um, mentor of sorts. He would, have, he would have been a little more mature perhaps than Philip was. And so we find this interesting point. We find that as a believer, let me say it this way, as a follower of Jesus, we have people in our life, or maybe we should have people in our life, that we can go to who maybe are a little more mature than us in the faith so that we can inquire concerning matters that come up that we don't have the answer to. Philip didn't have the answer. He didn't know what to do. He would remembered that Jesus had said he had come to the house of Israel. So he goes to Andrew and he says, Andrew, we got a problem here, man. This group of people, they want to see Jesus and I'm not sure what to do in this case. So Andrew says, let's go to Jesus. And so together they go to Jesus. I'm reminded in the scriptures in the book of Ecclesiastes of the importance of two. Two being better than one. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. So it's important that we have those relationships among the people of God. We think about the Greeks. We also think about what the Bible tells us concerning them. Many of them are, are uh, philosophically oriented. They are seekers. May I use that phrase with you for just a moment? They are seekers. Now what I'm about to say, I don't want it to offend you, but I want you to follow with me for just a moment if you don't mind. And that is this, that we need to be, as a church, don't misunderstand me here, but we need to be seeker friendly. But it is a mistake to be seeker focused. The church should always be Jesus-focused. 
We should be looking for Jesus and we should be seeking Jesus. That's what we need above all else. It doesn't mean we ignore the seekers. It, we should be seeker friendly, but just not seeker focused. You don't quit looking for Jesus in order to gather a crowd. Amen? Paul, when he was writing to young Timothy, he said there are some, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, who are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Constantly seeking. Luke wrote it down concerning Paul's ministry among the Greeks in Athens, Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 21. I'll read there. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life or gives to all life, breath, and all things. Paul said there's a problem within us when all we're doing is seeking and we're never settling on the truth. Now, there may be some here today, you've been a seeker for a long time. One of the most difficult things in the world to do is, is for seekers who are constantly looking for something new and constantly trying to find more information is to be able to settle their lives and rest themselves in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are some whose pursuit of higher education can lead them to a point where they believe nothing. And they believe everything and therefore they believe nothing. And so I ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, it's a simple thing. You either believe that Jesus is who he said he is, or you don't. You either believe he rose from the dead, or you believe he is a liar, and everyone who said they saw him afterwards is a liar, and he does not have the power to redeem you. Or he is Savior, and you need to make him your Savior. It's not a complicated deal. It's really quite simple. We're the ones who complicate it. So they sought out Philip. They said, Philip, we want to see Jesus. And I, I hope that it will always be this way, that when people come to East Point, they come to find Jesus. And they're able to see Jesus, able to hear about him in the songs and hear about him in the messages and hear about him uh, from you and your testimonies and see him even in your life. But to seek Jesus, that's the very first step in worship. We ought to gather to find him. That's why we come. Number two on the list, study Jesus. I think that's important. What do I mean by study Jesus? Well, uh, Philip and Andrew came to Jesus and they said, hey Jesus, these guys want to meet you. And, and Jesus answered, the Bible said. That's an interesting Greek word. The word answered in the text. Literally, it's apokrinomai, and literally it means to give a response, to begin an answer, to give an address from which more is about to be said, that you are expecting to hear more. Let me ask you this question today. When you come to worship, do you come looking for him to answer problems that you've had in your life, things you've been praying about, things you've been looking for answers in? Jesus is the answer. Amen. Amen. Yes. And we should study him. 
To study him means we need to listen to what he has to say. And that brings us back to the word of God. An important part of worship involves the word of God. The teaching of what Jesus has said and who he is as well as what he has said. We find uh, in the scriptures in Matthew 17, it's an interesting text. I, uh, I love this uh, passage. Peter, James, and John have been called up to go with Jesus over to this mount. We don't know the name. There's speculation involved in it. But, but he, uh, Jesus leads them and he, he goes into a, a glorified state. And Moses and Elijah show up. You know the story as the Mount of Transfiguration. So Peter opens his mouth as he often did before he thought. Go ahead and look at your neighbor. He's talking about you. Tell him. No. <laughs> we do that sometimes. And, and so Peter opens his mouth. He said, let's build three tabernacles right here. We're just going to stay right here. Let's build one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you, Jesus. And then the Bible says, a voice came from heaven. And in Matthew 17, verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, listen to this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Two words, hear him. Hear him. I, I am thrilled to death that you come to this church and I am honored to be able to present the word of God to you. But do not come to hear from this preacher. Come to hear from him. Amen. So many times I hear people come to me and they say, Pastor, I enjoyed that message, particularly the joke. <laughs> I don't know what it is about our church, but we remember jokes. Not, not too long ago, somebody came to me and said, Oh, I remember that joke you told. I said, What did I preach on that day? They said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any idea. I don't remember what it was, but the joke, I remember the joke. <laughs> Gather to worship. It's kind of like the little boy named Johnny. Remember Johnny? Johnny showed up to Sunday school. He was a little bit late. And the teacher wanted to know, Johnny, what's wrong? You okay? You're always on time. You were late. He said, I know. He said, I was going to go fishing with my dad this morning. He, and, and he told me I had to go to church. The teacher said, well, that's good. I'm glad he told you that. So he explained to you how important it was for you to come to worship instead of fishing. Well, Johnny said, not exactly. So well, what did he say to you? He said, we didn't have enough bait for the both of us. <laughs> so we should come. We should come to study Jesus, to look at what he has to say. Let me, let me pause a moment and say this to you uh, for the sake of saying it, if nothing else. Um, uh, there are many of us, when we think about what Jesus said, we have, uh, and be careful with this, don't amen this yet, okay? Uh, I'm not trying to set you up, I'm just telling you. Some people say, oh, I've got the red letters, you know, the red letter edition, the red letter. It's what Jesus said. And I had a, a pastor friend of mine, matter of fact, he's coming to town this week. Some of you uh, remember him from his ministry in Jacksonville, Pastor Harold Hunter, Dr. Hunter, used to pastor North Jacksonville. We were riding to get a cup of coffee together. And he said this to me. He said, do you have a, he asked me, he said, do you have a red letter edition of the Bible? I said, no, actually I don't. He said, that's good. I said, well, why do you say that? He said, so many people, so many people think that the red letters are more important than all the other letters. It's all the word of God. Don't fool yourself, ladies and gentlemen, that it's all the Word of God. And it is just as powerful in the black as it is in the red. And the truth of the matter is, we need to look at it as though God has given it all to us. And we need to study who He is and what He has said. 
Acts chapter 4 and verse number 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We're talking about Jesus, who he is. Hear him. It's all about studying him. In Matthew chapter 11, it's a text that uh, many of us are familiar with. It's a comforting text, no doubt. He, Jesus said, come to me, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The Old English says, learn of me. In the New King James, he says, learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, I want to teach you some things. I got to have you spend some time with me. And part of worship is studying who he is and what he has said. Jesus. There's no one else like him. No one else like him. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 14, no man comes unto the Father but by me. He went on to say to his disciples, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, now listen to this, this is important. Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? If suddenly your Bibles were taken from you, if suddenly... You had no access on the internet to anything religious, any kind of scripture, nothing. If all you had to go on was what you have already hidden in your heart and what you already know about Jesus. And when you gathered like this, as is the case in some countries, all we could do was share with someone else what you know about Jesus. What would we know about him? Jesus looked at his disciple and he said, Have I been with you all of this time and you have not known me? Have you been saved all of that time and you don't know him better than you do? Lifeway Publications in a magazine called Facts and Trends published that nearly 90% of the households in America have a copy of the Bible. 41% of the households in America have at least four copies of the Bible in their homes. But only one out of five people in the United States of America read their Bible on a regular basis. One out of five. Have I been with you all that time and you have not known me? You have access to everything you can possibly know about him and you've not taken access and advantage of that access? Study Jesus. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You will find that he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the creator, the Christ. He is the door of heaven. He is the desire of all nations. He is the everlasting father. He is Emmanuel. He's the faithful one. He is the good shepherd. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the Master. He's Messiah. His name is to be above all other names. 
He's the propitiation for our sins. He is the Passover lamb. He is the quickening spirit, the rock, our refuge, the Bible says. He's our savior. He is the truth. He is the unspeakable gift. He is the victory, our victory. He is the word, the way. He is Yahshua. He is the zeal of the Lord of hosts. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. And knowing him and knowing of him is part of worship. If you gather to worship, seek him and study him. And number three on the list, serve him. That's a third very important. It's an essential component of worship. Serve him. Serve him. I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is that when we gather together here at East Point, we experience an awesome time of worship. The bad news is it's probably one of the best kept secrets in all of Jacksonville. <laughs> Amen? Somehow we got to get the word out. And so we got we to be able to serve him and share him. And, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. John chapter 12 again, if you're there. Uh, he, the Bible says, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so Jesus began to speak about who he was. He said, most assuredly, I say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now that verse of scripture is interesting. It actually has a dual meaning. I do believe it refers to the sacrifice of Jesus. I do believe that because Jesus had to die and from that death brought forth life. He conquered death. But I also believe he's leading into what it means to serve him. What it means to serve him is dying to self. It means to, to, to understand that we must deny self in order to serve him and walk with him and live for him. He goes on and he adds to that. He said, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, his, uh, him, uh, my father will honor. How do we do this thing called serving the Lord? How do we do this? Well, number one, we got to be willing. Somewhere in our hearts we have to say, okay, God, I'm willing to serve you. With no strings attached, right? That's surrender. So this verse can deal with the sacrifice of Christ, but it also deals with the surrender of the Christian, the surrender of the believer who says, I'm willing to follow you, Lord. I'm willing to live for you. And then we need to discover our God-given gifts. How does God want to use you? How has he used you? That's a good way to look at your life and determine what your gift is. You can take a spiritual gifts test. Easy to do, easy to find. You can even Google them today. You can go on Lifeway and they've got one right there you can take. So to find out what your spiritual gifts are. Or you can just look at your life and say, you know, this is how God tends to use me in the past. This is what I can do for him. And you can begin to understand better what your spiritual gifts are. Practice hospitality. And exercise forgiveness. You say, why are those things necessary in serving? Because they open doors. They open doors for serving. You'll be able to do uh, more for the cause of Christ with those. Be involved in the church that Christ has instituted. Christ instituted the church. Many people believe they're serving God, but they're serving him outside the church. You can do so much more by serving him through the church. There's a reason why Christ instituted the church. We sometimes, especially in the world that we live in, we fail to emphasize that. 
You can support the ministry of the church through prayer. Prayer support is so very important. But there's also financial support that's also very important. And we have to be mindful of that when it comes to the work of God and the support of the work of God. Then take whatever it is that you do, wherever it is that you serve, whatever it is that you do for a living, however you work. The Bible says, Colossians 3 verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. As to the Lord and not to men. Those of you that work for an employer, the Bible tells us you're supposed to be working not for them, but for the Lord. And let them see that type of work out of you. Those of you that have your own businesses, you're not serving just the customer and the business that you, uh, the, uh, uh, the clientele of your business, but you're serving the Lord. Work as though you are doing it for the cause of Christ. And from that, you will serve him no matter what you do. One woman made it her business to do her best to invite people to church. And she, uh, one uh, Sunday morning, she'd been working pretty diligently on her husband and she came to church. And so she was sitting there as the, as the ushers came to receive the offering and she went to get her tithe out and, and the remote control from the TV fell out on the floor. <laughs> and the usher said, ma'am, uh, uh, why did you bring, do you always bring a remote to, to church? She said, no. She said, I've been trying to get my husband here and he told me this morning he was coming. Then he changed his mind. He didn't come. He said, she said, that's the meanest thing I could have done to him that was legal. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I don't know to what extent you're trying to serve the Lord, but, but serve him. Serve him to the best of your ability. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11 in verse number 1, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You see, Jesus said, if you're going to serve me, then you must follow me. Now here's a question for us. If we're serving, and serving implies leading, where are you taking them? Where are you taking them? Take them to Christ in that direction. I've shared this story with you before when I was a kid learning to drive and my dad was teaching me to drive. He would always say to me, now son, you need to look through the car in front of you at the car in front of them because whatever that car does is what that car in front of you is going to do. So uh, you keep your eyes on that car in front of you, but you look through them to the other. And when I think about that illustration, I think about what Paul is saying. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In the old English, it was follow me as I follow Christ. Now what's he saying? He's saying you got to keep your eyes on Christ. Always focus on Christ because here's the truth of the matter. Your pastor is going to let you down. Your church is going to let you down. Your Bible teacher is going to let you down. The mentors of your faith, they're going to let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. He will never lead you astray. Never. So keep your eyes on him, but follow him. In all that you do. And then last of all, I do want to talk to you about sharing Jesus. That's the fourth essential component that I want to give you. And I think it's part of worship. All right, so let's, let's assume this. Let's assume that we've come this morning and we are, we, are, we are worshiping. We have come to worship and we have sought Jesus and we have studied Jesus and his word. And we are willing to serve, even many have already served today and are continuing to serve even as we uh, bring this message in various parts of our, our facility today. So here's the question, what are you going to do with all this now? 
What are you going to do with the experience that you've gained today? That, you, that you've drawn closer to him? You know him in a more precious way, in a more personal way. What are you going to do with this one called the Messiah now? Are you just going to keep it to yourself? Or are you going to share him? Are you going to tell other people about him? The Bible tells us that these bore witness. Uh, in uh, verse 17 of our main text, we read this earlier. John 12, verse 17. Therefore the people who were with him when he had called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. So what are you a witness of? Are you a witness of the resurrected life? I love this because even though Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, this passage of scripture said when the Greeks came, they didn't come to see the one who was raised from the dead. They came to see the one who did the raising from the dead. So will you show them Jesus? Will you love them like Jesus would love them? Will you lead them like he would lead them? Will you lift up Jesus in the life that you live? Follow me, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He's calling right now. <laughs> Amen. Jesus is tenderly calling. So here's the question for you. Will you answer? Huh? If it is him, put him on speaker. We all need to hear it. Share, <laughs> share Jesus. A few chapters earlier, John chapter 4, you remember the story, the woman at the well? The Bible says in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Listen, all you need to do, you say, preacher, I'm not really sure how to lead somebody to Christ. Then just bring people to where others can share him. Amen. Come meet a man that told me all, is this not the Christ? Come and listen about this one named Jesus. The apostle John wrote later on, 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know what I love about that passage of scripture? It tells us that no matter your learning preference, maybe your auditory, maybe your visual, maybe your kinesthetic, here's what John said. We have heard him, we have seen him, and we have handled him with our own hands. And he's for every individual to know. Everybody needs to know him. Everybody needs to know him. So here's the question for us. How do we more effectively, in closing, how do we more effectively share Jesus? Well, I have just a few things I want to give you. They're all come up on the PowerPoint. You can write them in, fill in the blank as we go. Number one, live a consistent Christian life. That's important. A Christ-centered life. Hypocrisy is... Uh, is something that does happen. We need to face that. We need to be aware of that. 
There, there's no sense in pretending that we're perfect because we're not. I know right now some of you should have that shocked look on your face. But we're not perfect. We know that. But live as consistent as you possibly can because hypocrisy will keep people from, from uh, coming to know the Lord. They won't want to listen to you. And, and by the way, let me just ask you simply this question. Do they see anything in your life that they need? Because if you're living just like they're living, they don't see it. They don't see it. Number two is listen to people. What I mean by that is be a good friend. Listen to people. We live in a day and age when listening is... is uh, Fast fleeing, it's, uh, it's difficult to get anybody to listen. It's tough. People are, the attention span is changing because of a lot of stuff that's happening. Maybe it's social media. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just narcissism that we're the only ones that really matter. And so listening to somebody else is difficult for us to do. Listening can be taxing. It, it can burn up energy. You sit and listen to a person very long and man, you're have, you'll get stressed before it's all over because it's difficult to do. But it's one of the most important things you can do. <laughs> it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. That was perfectly timed there. That was good. I know that's not what you meant. But all the carnal people thought it. All right, here we go. Number three, lean on the Holy Spirit. He can do what nobody else can do. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit will help you be a witness. If there's something in you that gets all kind of knotted up and twisted up and when you get ready to witness to somebody, everybody has that. Everybody has that. It's a difficult thing to do. The more you do it, the less of that nodding up and twisting up will happen because you'll begin to understand better that the Holy Spirit helps you through it. So lean on the Holy Spirit. Look for opportunities. Now, if you've been leaning on the Holy Spirit and you've been praying, God, open up some doors. Give me a chance. You're going to see those. And it's going to be amazing when you see them. It's just going to be like, wow, how God opened up the door for me to share Jesus with my friend or my coworker or my family member. And then last of all, and this is probably the most important, just love people the way Jesus does. Love people like Jesus loves them. You know, I have found in my life that you can tell people just about anything if they truly sense and know that you love them. If you love them, you can share with them about their eternity, about whether or not they're in a relationship with Jesus. And they'll not be offended because they'll sense the fact that you do love them and you care for them. They may not agree with you and they may not say yes to, to the Messiah. But I'm telling you that if you love them, it will open up the doors and it will change the opportunities that you have. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for just a, a lightheartedness in our service. We thank you for the working of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the love that we sense and feel in this building, not only for one another, Lord, but for you. 
And we do love you. And Lord, we are reminded in your word that in just a few verses beyond where we stopped in John 12, you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so Lord, help us. Help us to leave this building today and lift you up. In the life that we live, in the prayers that we pray, in the opportunities that we have, let us be mindful of whether our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students, let us be mindful of whether our neighbors and our family members know you. And let us share you, Lord. Let us be prompted by the Holy Spirit to share you more. And Lord, I pray that worship will actually occur when we gather together. Lord, I pray that we will indeed seek you and that we will study you and that we will serve you. And Lord, maybe even now today during this invitation time, there might be some who come and just present themselves to you, Lord, either in adoration of you or in surrender saying, Lord, show me where you want me to serve. Show me what you want me to do. Whatever it may be, Lord, we pray, work among us and work in us. In Jesus' name, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, having preached on worship and having preached on adoring him, let us not leave today without taking that opportunity to do just that. Whether you come to the altar or you sit in your seat or whether you stand where you're at, it makes no difference. You do what God tells you to do, but will you take a moment and remind the Lord of how great he is and the fact that you know it. Spend a moment adoring him. If you're here today and you do not know him, you're here today and you've never entered a relationship with him, you're here today and you've never been what we refer to as born again, but you'd like to find out more, we would love the opportunity to show you from the Word of God how you can have eternal life that Jesus offers. So if you'd make your way forward, you'd let us know. We have a counselor that'd be happy to talk to you and pray with you. Otherwise, if you just come to the altar, we're just going to leave you alone. You pray, talk to God, worship Him, adore Him as God leads. Would you stand with me, please, all who are able. May God bless you.